Well, hello, Inland Hills Church. I'm really excited that uh, you're, you're joining me today. And uh, I hope that you had a really Merry Christmas. This is uh, just a, a couple days afterwards, and I hope that you were able to uh, have great phone calls with loved ones and uh, remember that it is Jesus Christ that we center this entire season around. Just a little heads up about today. Um, we wanted to give our staff a bit of a break. They've been working tirelessly this year to make sure that we can continue to do ministry, even though we've had you know a ton of challenges as many of us have had in our, in our workplaces. And so today, this is this is a non-hosted e-church experience. There aren't any hosts on. We're, we're giving our staff the day off, but we did want to put out a little bit of a devotional and a few thoughts maybe looking back at this last year. If you want to read along, I'm going to be in the book of John in chapter 21 today, and we'll get there in just a few minutes. I need to give it a little bit of background, and I want to talk just a little bit about where we're headed. Um, we'll be shorter today, a little more brief, but I think it's important for us to do some reflection at the end of this year. The truth is 2020 was one of the most challenging years for us collectively uh, in, in recent memory, possibly in, in a century. And it's, it was hard this last year to walk through what felt like loss after loss after loss. And for many of us, we're really excited about 2021. And it just feels like if we can just get to New Year's Day 2021, everything's going to be great. But we actually know deep down inside, if we're honest with ourselves, the reality is it's not like everything gets good on January 1st, 2021. Uh, we still have ICUs completely at capacity here in Southern California. That's probably going to be true for several more weeks, at least. Uh, it's possible even that Christmas will give us an uptick and an upsurge in that. Uh, vaccines are starting to roll out, which is fantastic news. But life probably won't look normal for still a number of months. So 2021, I, I, I feel optimistic, has the chance of being a much better year than 2020. And yet, I think it would be a mistake for us to just look at 2020, say, what a loss, <laughs> and move on. I, I think it's maybe more helpful for us to consider the lessons of 2020 and I don't know that it's a universal lesson for each and every one of us. But before we really meditate on that and think through that, I'd like for us to look at one of my favorite characters from the New Testament. Uh, his name is Peter. He's one of the disciples of Jesus. Uh, Peter was the, the caffeinated disciple. He always opened his mouth, especially if it was to put the other foot in. He just, he, he was loud. He was boisterous didn't do a lot of thoughtful planning in advance, kind of spoke from the get, said whatever came to mind. And, and he, was, he was faithful. He's the very first disciple to acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And so as I read through the, the gospels, I just have a lot of affection for Peter because I see personality-wise a lot of myself, a lot of the mistakes I made in my life, I see Peter making. And these guys were young. So Peter's probably 19, 20 years old uh, when we read about him in, in the gospels. Peter first comes to Jesus because he's out fishing. So Peter's probably like middle class or upper middle class. Most people aren't able to afford boats and nets. And most people are day laborers and his family seems to own this business. And Jesus is walking by on the shore and they're not catching anything. And Jesus tells them to put their nets on the other side of the boat. And uh, this is you know, Peter's first encounter with Jesus. And I just imagine the thinking that goes behind that, like, Jesus, <laughs> you realize the fish can get through the boat, right? Like it's one side or the other, it doesn't really matter. It's not like all the fish are just hanging out over here. That's a crazy thing to say, but okay, look, there's crazy guys walking by on the beach. We'll entertain him a little bit and then maybe he'll leave us alone and go away so that we who actually know how fishing works can get back to the business of fishing. Instead, what happens is they throw the net in and they get so many fish, they can barely pull it off. Like the nets start to break. 
this is Peter's introduction to Jesus. And so it's, it's very peculiar. There's something about this person. There's something about this man that's different. What does he know that I don't know? And then Jesus asks Peter to follow him and he does. He follows him faithfully and he's defensive of him. Like he's loyal to him. He, he recognizes that he's the Messiah before anybody else. The, the long awaited coming of God that the Jewish people had been hoping for for hundreds of years. And Peter, over time, before any of the other disciples, realizes that's who you are. That's who you are. And so they have a bit of a special relationship. Although, you know, in the next breath, uh, Peter tells Jesus like he's, he absolutely can't be killed, can't be taken from him because that doesn't fit in Peter's conception of the Messiah. And Jesus has to rebuke him. He actually he uses really strong words and says, get behind me, Satan. So Jesus and Peter have this complicated relationship. Peter has great faith and Peter has uh, just great gumption. And yet sometimes he gets out over his skis a little bit. And Jesus has to reel him back in. Toward the end of Jesus' ministry, on the night that he would be crucified, Jesus gathers with his disciples and they share together a, a last meal, a last supper. And as they're having this meal, Jesus begins to talk about the fact that he's about to be arrested and killed. And they just don't want to believe it. And Peter so doesn't want to believe it that, that Jesus has to tell him one other bit of news that's just heartbreaking to him, which is simply that, Peter, tonight you're going to betray me. Before the rooster crows, you, you will deny me three times. And Peter says, no, I will absolutely never do that. You know, this is, you can just imagine Peter, like this is the strong will, loud mouth, like absolutely not, Jesus. You are dead wrong about that, right? Like he, when he has a strong opinion, even though he realizes he is talking to the Messiah, he gets so defensive. Like, not only have I not done that, Jesus, to think that I would do that. Like, I imagine not only is he upset, defensive, he's probably hurt. Jesus, have I not been with you long enough? Have I not been faithful enough? Have I not been loyal enough for you to believe me that I would never, ever do something like that? Jesus gets arrested a few hours later in the Garden of Gethsemane. And which disciple is it that pulls out his sword and tries to strike one of the Roman guards in order to protect Jesus? Well, it's Peter. And his aim was really bad because he misses the guard's head and he just cuts off his ear. Jesus rebukes Peter again. Peter, he says, put your sword away for whoever lives by the sword dies by the sword. Jesus consistently pushed toward peace, consistently pushes disciples toward peace. And then he takes the ear of the guard and he puts it back on his head and he heals him. Can you imagine being that guard, that centurion? You're there to arrest this man, his followers, perhaps not surprisingly, decide to defend him, you end up getting injured and the very person you are there to arrest ends up being your salvation. What do you do with that? Do you just continue your duty, your job? Well, you probably do because you probably face death if you don't. And yet there's gotta be some tension, some, some difficulty inside of you, right? It says, is it right to give this man over? So Peter follows behind Jesus in this arresting troop at a distance. He's, he's scared, but he can't abandon Jesus now. And as Jesus is being tried, Peter is out just there. He, he wants to be as close to Jesus as possible. But people recognize him and they start to ask him if he's with Jesus. 
And Peter's just seen what happened to Jesus. Rome has just arrested him. He realizes he's being tried before the Jewish Sanhedrin. In other words, to acknowledge that you're one of Jesus' closest followers to this group of Jews standing outside of this particular trial may lead you to be arrested as well, may lead you to die as well. And for all of his bravado, for all of his enthusiasm, his loyalty, the thought of being arrested and perhaps tried and perhaps crucified seems to diminish the loyal fervor that Peter had had. And so as Jesus is being tried, he gets asked like, hey, aren't you one of the ones who was with him? And, and Peter says, no, 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 it's, it's, it wasn't me. You're thinking of someone else. I get that a lot. Like people tell me I look like someone. It wasn't me though. But he gets asked two more times and each time he gets more defensive, right? Which seems to be one of Peter's personality traits. It's not me. I'm telling you, you're thinking of someone else. Wait, 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 you're one of the guys, right? I'm, I'm positive that I saw you with him. No, and stop asking. Look, you're thinking of somebody else. It wasn't me. And one of the gospel accounts, it even says that the rooster crows shortly after that, and that Jesus locks eyes with him from across the courtyard. And Peter recognizes what he did. Like when that rooster crows, it, like all of the denial, both the night before that he would deny Jesus and the denial of Jesus comes crashing down on him like a brick wall. And that sick feeling he must have in his gut as he realizes the very thing he swore he would not do he just did. You ever conceived of yourself in one way and then you did an action and, and it turned out maybe you were wrong. Peter thinks he won't deny Jesus and then he does. And there's a sinking sensation. Perhaps you've thought before of yourself as like a, a loyal friend or a great coworker or an honest person. And then you find yourself telling a fib or throwing a coworker under the bus to save your own skin or of breaking a promise to a friend and you discover maybe you weren't as great as you thought you were. Or maybe you thought of yourself as a good parent and then your kids got older and at some point they began to tell you about some things that you did when they were growing up that turned out to be really unhelpful. And it just never crossed your mind that maybe those things were gonna sit with them, live with them for a really long time. Maybe you thought of yourself as a faithful follower of Jesus, but there's like an area or two in your life that you just can't seem to get victory over. And every time you fall to that area, you remind yourself that you still have so much work to do to be a faithful follower of Jesus, to have your life fully and truly transformed by him. This is what Peter experiences, cognitive dissonance. It's the idea that I believe one thing, but I experience something different. And then there's a tension between those two things. It can lead to identity crisis. It can lead to confusion. It can lead to flat denial of doing what we did because it so goes against the grain of who we think we are. So Peter wrestles with this. And if that's not bad enough, he never really has the chance to even talk to Jesus about it. He realizes that Jesus knows what just happened. It's almost hilarious that he even argued with him in the first place after seeing all that Jesus could do, but he did. And now that he's wrong, Jesus is right. He doesn't even have the opportunity to really say that he's sorry. Jesus is tried. He's found innocent, honestly. And yet the Jewish people are so adamant that they want to see him crucified that the governor, Pilate, ends up relenting and crucifying him in a place called Golgotha. Jesus is dead. 
the disciples scatter because they are fearful for their own lives. This group of people who had felt so much courage when Jesus was around had been willing to walk into synagogues and into cities and proclaim the opposite of what the people believed there because Jesus felt like he was their protector, comforter. As long as Jesus is here, what could possibly go wrong? But now Jesus is gone. So what do we do? But see, Jesus doesn't stay gone. In fact, he lies for three days in the tomb and he raises from the dead the promise of Easter. Peter's one of the first disciples to the tomb and he's the first one to go inside of it to see that it's empty. He ends up having encounters with Jesus over the next several days, his Lord and his God. And shortly before Jesus would ascend, one of the very last things to happen in the gospel of John, Jesus has a last encounter with Peter and he restores him to his relationship. So in John chapter 21, I just want to read together because it's one of my favorite passages in all of the New Testament. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples behind, beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. And Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing, which is not surprising. Peter had found solace in fishing. It was part of his job. It was probably something that he loved his entire life. They had a rough several weeks here that Jesus has died. He's raised from the dead. They thought all hope was lost. Now they think it's found again, but they're emotionally exhausted, emotionally weary. Can you resonate with emotionally exhausted after the year that we've been through? That's where they're at. And so, Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. (laughs) Maybe you've had something over the last number of months that's been kind of your go-to. I'm going to watch Netflix. I'm going to play the PlayStation. I'm going to wrestle with my kids. I'm going to go sit in a hot tub. I'm going to order food from that super unhealthy restaurant again, because you know what? It's been a stressful week. This is Peter's comfort food. I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to do the thing that I love to do. We'll come too, they all said. Sounds fun. Let's, Let's do it. So they went out on the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out, fellows, have you any fish? No, they replied. Just one of the only times in the history of the world, a fisherman has been honest about the fact that he didn't catch anything. So they said, no, we don't have any fish. And Jesus replies, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. Now this should feel familiar. (laughs) And it probably does. Or maybe they're so emotionally exhausted that they don't even consider the possibility that this is Jesus. But either way, they did it. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. And then the disciple Jesus loves, this is John, says to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped it for work. He jumped into the water and headed to shore. So he is so excited that Jesus is there that he can't even wait for the boat to get there. He's just gonna jump into the water. He swims about a hundred yards to the shore. He wants to be with Jesus as fast as possible. The other stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore. Did you imagine that they were a little irritated about that? Like they could barely pull the net in because there were so many fish. And Peter bells in them immediately like, hey, it looks like you guys are working hard. I'm gonna go hang with Jesus. See you later, jumps in the water, he's there. So they they have to uh, struggle and strain to get it there and they finally get it up to the shore. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. The king of the cosmos, Jesus Christ, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who sustains us 
in whom all things hold together, cooks breakfast for his disciples. And so they get to the shore and they begin eating. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. And there were 153 large fish and yet the net wasn't torn, which probably felt like a miracle. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. And then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. And this was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Keep in mind, Peter has not had the opportunity to apologize to Jesus for his denial. And then Jesus asks him in front of his friends, hey, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. You know I do. Come on, Jesus. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Verse 17, a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Imagine what's happening here. Jesus asked him, do you love me? Yes, I love you. And he's, he's thinking, okay, I didn't get to apologize, but I get this opportunity to say that I love you. And then Jesus asked him again, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I do. And when he asked him the third time, Peter has to realize what's happening here. I denied him three times. He's asking me three times if I love him. But in doing so, he's reminding me, he's reminding me of my betrayal. And so he's hurt, not because Jesus doesn't believe him, although perhaps he just wants to be adamant as well, but he's also hurt because this is being brought up again. It's, it's something that he would like to leave in the past. It's something he'd like to forget about. It's something he'd like to pretend never happened. And yet Jesus is going to force him to look it straight in the face, to confront it and to acknowledge that he has to grow from it, learn from it and change from it. Simon, do you love me? Lord, you know everything. Know that I love you and feed my sheep. And then Jesus is going to go on and he's going to tell him exactly how much that's going to cost him. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me, follow me. So Jesus basically acknowledges, look, Peter, if, if you love me, it's going to cost you. The thing that you were afraid of, the reason you betrayed me on the night of my arrest, you were afraid of death. You were afraid of having your autonomy stripped from you. If you really love me though, that is where this is headed for you. And so if you really love me, you just need to know that, acknowledge it, and decide it's worth the cost. Do you love me? Yeah, you know I do. Do you love me? Yes, Jesus, yes. Do you love me? 
Oh, Jesus, you know all things. You know that I love you. What happens after this event is startling. Jesus ascends into the heavens. He tells his disciples to wait for him because the Holy Spirit is going to come. So not, not for him, but for the Holy Spirit. And that's going to change everything. He says, I'm going to send a special helper to you. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter and the disciples, they, they have like tongues of fire, flaming tongues basically descend to where people can hear what they are saying in any language. And Peter gives this impassioned sermon and thousands of people come to know Jesus that day. Peter ends up being a wonderful leader in the early church. He still makes mistakes. He doesn't do everything perfectly, but he ends up being hugely responsible for the spread of the gospel amongst the Jewish people. This is a man whose life is altered and changed, who, who no longer looks like the kind of person who's scared or afraid or bashful about sharing with everyone exactly how long he spent with Jesus. He ends up being imprisoned for it. He ends up facing flogging for it. And he ends up eventually dying for it. In fact, the, the, the legend around Peter that's been passed down throughout the church is that he ends up eventually being crucified himself, but refuses to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was. So he asked them to crucify him upside down. See, Jesus lets Peter know that while this denial of Jesus will always be part of Peter's story, it doesn't have to define who he is for the rest of his life. It'll contribute to it. He can learn from it, but it doesn't define him. For 2020, we faced a lot of challenges. And Probably like me and like many other people I've talked to, this year has shown you a little bit more of who you are inside. In fact, sometimes 2020 served as a mirror for us. Like we ended up not being at our best throughout the year and seeing how we responded to not being at our best or to being socially distanced from other people or to feeling isolation or maybe not having our job look the same as it once did or maybe having our job taken from us. Like, how did we respond to those things? What were the things that we looked back on this year and we were surprised about our own behavior? Things that we would have said, no, no, I would never do that. Or I, I've, I've already, I've kicked that addiction or I've kicked that desire. Like that's not a part of who I am anymore. And then we find ourselves in the midst of perhaps one of the most challenging and unhealthy years of our lives. And then what did our response look like in the midst of that? Perhaps marriages that felt strong heading into the pandemic feel shaken and weakened now. Perhaps relationships or jobs, Perhaps as we look back on this last year, there's just a lot of things that it feels like the mirror was held up to us and we thought we would see one thing, but instead we learned that actually, I still have a long ways to go. See, 2020 is a year that we are excited to leave behind and yet it's a year that we, we must not leave behind. Whatever we learned this year about ourselves, we take as notes, as lessons into the year ahead what does it look like to continue to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ? What does it look like to recognize that there are parts of my life that still need work and to invite God into those parts? See, 2021, I, I think, has a chance of being a much better year. But, but part of what will determine that is whether we, in the coming months, decide to get closer and closer to Jesus and to get closer and closer to becoming the person that Jesus is calling us to be. And to do that, we can't forget the lessons of this last year. This last year does not define you. 
but it does shape you. This last year does not define you, but it should assist you in understanding who you really are and where it is that God is still working on you. This last year does not define you, but it should remind you that a love for Christ must be at the core of everything that we are. And so church, I'm excited about a new year. And I I know that everything's not gonna magically get better and disappear on January 1st. I know that. But I do believe that there are better days ahead and I look forward to that. But we would be remiss not to do some reflecting in the last days of 2020 on what it is that we've learned about ourselves this year and to pray that God would help us, help us to, to embrace what it is we've learned about ourselves that's good and to push back on what we've learned about ourselves that's not, uh, that's not in keeping with our Christian discipleship. So I wanted to conclude today by just thanking you. Thanking you, Inland Hills, for being the church this year. Thank you so much for continuing to to hang in there and to do ministry here locally and to be generous in order that we can continue to reach our community and to be there for one another. As I've heard of so many stories of small groups and, and, and people calling each other and checking on each other and delivering food for each other, like you have continued to be the church this year. And I want us to celebrate that while also acknowledging that which is maybe not as good and that needs to be worked on. So I'd like to conclude today by praying a prayer of thanksgiving and a prayer of hope for you specifically as you're watching this. Can we pray together? Lord, I just lift up uh, every person within the sound of my voice. God, for everyone who's listening to this on a podcast in their car or for people who are watching this on, a, on, a, on an iPad or an iPhone or an Android device or a computer screen, or on their television, Lord, I just lift them up wherever they find themselves today. And God, I, I am just, uh, I am so thankful for this church and this congregation. And I thank you, Lord, for the difficult year that you've seen us through, that, that you have seen us through. And I thank you that this church is bonded together and continue to serve as the hands and feet of Jesus in this community as we have for these last almost 30 years now. God, I pray that as we think back and reflect on this last year, as we reflect on, Lord, some of our own shortcomings or some of the ways that when, when the, the screws were tightened, when the chips were down, maybe we didn't rise to the occasion like we thought we would. Maybe we discovered some things about ourselves that, that we, we wished weren't still true. And I just pray, God, that instead of pretending that that's not the case, you would, just like Jesus did with Peter, you would just bring it up for us in the coming days. Remind us of it. And Lord, in your reminding us of it, would you help us to change and transform to be more like Jesus tomorrow than we are today? God, can you make us more like him today than we were yesterday? That's, that's my hope. So I pray for our church. I'm thankful for it. And I pray, God, that you would continue to grow us and change us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Inland Hills Church Weekly Messages podcast. To learn more about Inland Hills, including info about our church ministries and ways to get involved, visit InlandHills.com. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure you subscribe and leave a review so others can find our messages of hope and encouragement. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next week.